Hello, everyone. Welcome to All Things College and Career, the podcast to turn to for all of your college and career planning needs with your hosts, Meg Gary and Bobby Ryan. You came to the right place to gather as much information as possible about college and careers before you make any big decisions. We are so glad you are here to learn before you leap each week with us. Today, we interview Allison Wade, whom I and many others consider to be an expert on the subject of competitive women's running. Currently, Allison publishes an amazing newsletter that covers extensively competitive pro elite women's running. Yeah, she really does. And if you enjoy running and want to see what the pros are up to, you need to check out this newsletter. It's absolutely amazing. Allison is turning us all into big running fans. We look forward to her newsletter every Monday morning. We sure do. In addition to publishing the newsletter, Allison does research for Runner's World and previously worked at Runner's World, New York Roadrunners, and Elite running.com as a writer, editor, photographer, and researcher. And we get into that a bit as well. Yeah, she's really on top of this running world. In this podcast, Allison shares what it takes to produce a weekly newsletter and the amount of work and effort that goes into publishing one. We chat about how Allison was able to turn her passion of running into a profession within the industry. Allison provides great inspiration for others hoping to do the same. We also get into Allison's coaching career. She spent over 12 years coaching track and cross country at both the high school and college level. Allison has coached at Amherst, Tufts, University of Virginia, Siena, and Wellesley. We ask Allison all about the advantages and drawbacks of a coaching career and what a typical day is like on the job. This is a great episode for anyone considering a career as a college coach. Yeah, she really gets into it and you don't want to miss that. Also, for anyone researching Bowdoin College and Northeastern University, we also ask Allison her thoughts about her undergraduate experience at Bowdoin and graduate school experience at Northeastern University, where she earned a master's degree in sports leadership. We could have talked to Allison all day about competitive women's running. There are so many topics we couldn't get into because we didn't have enough time. But we were able to chat about the World Track and Field Champions coming up in Doha. Cutter, I think is the way you pronounce that, how the locals do. And um, that's coming up September 27th to October 6th. And so we chatted up about what American women are to look out for in those events. And we also touched on Shalane Flanagan and the Boston Marathon. And we talked a bit about Castor Semenya and the issues surrounding that. Yep, we got into all of that. So enough of our introduction. Let's get on to our conversation with Allison. Let's do it. Hello, Allison Wade. Welcome to All Things College and Career. Thanks so much for doing our podcast. Thank you. We're so excited to have you. Yeah, yeah, we definitely are. Good morning, Allison. We're happy to have you here for sure. And where are we talking to you from today? I'm just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. All right. Nobody likes Boston better than us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A good place to All right, settle maybe for not sure. Nobody, but <laughs> we love Boston. Yeah, yeah. So, Allison, we are going to get right into this podcast, and we'd like to start by asking our guests to tell us three things they love about their work. So, if you could tell us three things you love about writing your newsletter, Fast Woman, that would be great. 
Right. Um, I think one, I get to choose the topic. So it's something I really love. The second I would say is I get to connect with other people who also love that topic, but also who are really neat people. So I love the connections that it's brought me. And I think also because I created it, I can make it whatever I want it to be. So I can make it fit into my life. And that for me is like the key thing right now is finding work that I can do that also I can do in like 45 minute spurts at a time and never have any uninterrupted right. thing to work. Right. I can imagine that it works much better with the family life, being able to be a bit more flexible with your work schedule. Yeah, absolutely. My husband and I decided a few years ago that both of us working, especially since we're in a place where everyone commutes into the city, so it's not the easiest, like right in town, drop off, pick up. Mm. We decided that both of us couldn't possibly be working full-time hours. Right. Um, so, you know, like I still work, but I'm the one who's more flexible now, um, as tends to happen to women a lot. Um, yeah, and, right. But it, right. at the same time, like I kind of see it as an opportunity now to sort of see what I can do with that time that I do have. And then, you know, if in however many years it's not something that's paying enough of the bills, then. I can always go find a nine to five. Right, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it gives you an opportunity to try something you're passionate about and afford you the flexibility that you need. And yeah, it seems like a perfect yeah. situation. Perfect balance, yeah. So um, Allison, one thing that we try to achieve with this podcast is to help our listeners who are researching colleges and careers. I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind touching just a bit on your college experiences at Bowdoin and for grad school at Northeastern. So you could maybe give our listeners a few words about what to expect if they selected those colleges or (laughs) yeah I mean they're they're very good schools in retrospect I'm not sure that either was the path I should have taken but at Mm -hmm. the same time you you take your path and you make the best of it right um, sure I think I picked Bowdoin partially because where I grew up it was sort of like you go to the best school you can get into Mm-hmm. And um, it was the only school I applied to. I applied to early decision. And I really liked the running program there. I was a runner. So that mm. definitely factored in, like set it apart from other schools that have similar profiles. But also, I don't think I really knew what I wanted to study. And I think that in the end, sort of was why it probably wasn't the right fit for me. Because um, it's a small mm. liberal arts college. Um, there's, right. you know, very set majors that you can have. And my junior year at Bowdoin, I actually transferred to Penn State because I had worked in an exercise physiology lab over the summer. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, wow, this is what I want to do. And my sophomore mm-hmm. year I at Bowdoin, I decided I would major in biology so that I could do exercise physiology in grad school. But I sort of did that for a year and thought, oh, I don't want to do two more years of this just so I can do something I want to do in yeah. grad school. So I transferred and that ended up not being the greatest experience just because going in as a junior, I had to take freshman English because I hadn't taken an English class at Bowdoin. Like there were just all these requirements. It was really yeah. hard to get the classes you wanted. And I also like broke my foot and had to have surgery. So like that oh. all kind of factored in. So I ended, wow. up, I ended up actually going, I dropped out my the spring semester, worked in a subway, in a, like the subway sandwich shop in a gas station for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah. I have to, you know, like this is why I have yeah, to right. go back to college and finish my degree. There's your motivation. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Were you planning on running at Penn State? I did run or? at Penn State. Yeah. Um, wow. Good and then, then I had the foot injury and they had an awesome foot surgeon there. So that in, in the end, that feels like why I went there so they could really fix it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a good reason then. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> so there was no transfer eligibility issues with NCAA no, going? I'm not even sure what exactly, I should know this because I was a Division One coach, but I, I'm not even sure exactly what the rule is now. I think because 
Division three schools are not competing with Division one schools. Like they don't see them as a worthy opponent. So it's not like yeah, if it were yeah. the same conference, I think there's more likelihood that you might have to see There might have. Yeah, um, I see. Exactly. Yeah. So you left Bowdoin and you attended Northeastern for graduate school. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, and but I actually did that many years later. So I don't really consider that part of like my education right. um, in that time period. Right. I did that more as while I was, I was actually, I had become a coach at that point and just thought it would be helpful in trying to get jobs or like, you know, even if you're going to work as a coach, you might want to have an administrative job within the athletic department as well. So I got a degree in sports leadership, but it was through, um, it's like sort of a different path there. Like you can, they pretty much let anyone (laughs) into that program. And um, it was very, like you don't have to take GREs or anything like that. Right. And I don't know that I needed to get that degree. I took a couple really interesting classes in getting that degree, Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of it probably could have done all the same things without having it. It's just I think that was more maybe, of a, but I'm sure it didn't hurt. Yeah, it didn't um, hurt, but I think it's more a formality of getting the master's degree, not actually. Yeah, like, hopefully it wasn't too expensive. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I want to go into detail uh, about these things, but a lot of times people go do a graduate program later on when they figure out more specifically what they want to do. So that's a common thing we hear. So we'd love to get into your career as a running coach for any of our listeners that think they might want to be a coach on the college level or high school level. So can you talk about that experience a little bit? Well, you were at like Amherst, Tufts, UVA, Siena, Wellesley, and two high school teams. Right. Right. Yeah. Without getting into too much detail. And again, you did talk about this quite extensively on Matt Chittam's podcast on the Rambling Runner. So anybody that really wants to hear a lot about her experiences there, you should head on over and listen to that. It was a great interview. Yeah. But just basically for anybody considering a career in coaching college track, what would you say a typical day is like, the advantages and drawbacks, what type of personality would be best suited, and anybody that's interested, what preparation, education, training would you recommend to break into such a field? Um, well, I think it's one of the hardest <laughs> professions to like really, you know, get a job, get paid well and make it. But um, I think it's also a really rewarding, I think that's, you know, those two things are related. It's a very rewarding profession. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Mm-hmm. There is no set path that anyone takes into coaching. You sort of have to be an athlete in that sport. Occasionally, there are exceptions to that, but it's very hard to break in if you don't have any experience doing. Right. Um, it, help, mm-hmm. it also helps if you're a good athlete in that sport. I think if you are sort of an average college athlete, you sometimes get surpassed by someone who might have been an Olympian or whatever. So it kind of depends on which level you're entering from. But I think in terms of me, the non-Olympic athlete, um, (laughs) I think I started coaching high school and I loved that at first. At first I felt like I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. I don't know anything. And then the high school kids started asking me questions and I was like, oh, well, I know that. Oh, right. I, just, like, I know, know a lot more than I thought I knew. Yeah, I did four years of high school coaching on the side, like when I had another job. And that was really great and rewarding and gave me confidence that I did know what I was talking about and that I could help people. Um, mm-hmm. And then I went on to coach college at a bunch of places, sort of as we moved around for other jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is you learn by doing. I think it really helps to get some experience. It's hard to just be an athlete and then go right into a coaching role. I think if you're a good team captain, you're probably a good coach. Um, yeah. A lot of those skills transfer. And I think being a good teammate, if you were the kind of athlete who just sort of looked out for yourself and did your own thing, like it might be a little bit harder to go into coaching. Whereas if you're someone who really cared about the team aspect and like sort of were invested in your teammates as well, then that can I love that. Help. Yeah. 
That makes sense. total sense. Yeah. yeah. But as far as education goes, when you were applying for these jobs, were they looking for a certain educational background or? Not really. And that's the tough thing. I think that's sort of the downfall of coaching right now is there is, there's, I mean, there's a few places you can go to get a coaching degree. Um, you know, like Springfield College is known yeah. to mm-hmm. right. a lot of coaches. And I think that would be a great place if you know that you want to be a coach. But at the same time, like most people are not coming through that path. And like you could be an exercise physiology major or whatever, but I don't think no one's going to hold it against you if you're not. Okay. Um, most of the education you can do is sort of like professional development. So there's USA Track and Field has certification. There's a couple other organizations that do, and they want to see level one, level two certification. But, you know, honestly, those things do not make you qualified to go. Like you can go in one week and get that. I've become a certified throws coach, but I would be an absolutely terrible throws coach. Yeah. So like, I think people like to see that, but you know, I think learning by doing is a lot more effective than, right. Um, and right. I personally just did a lot of, I read every book I could find, like read every resource I could find online that had stuff like that. So it's a lot of it is sort of educating yourself. Right. Self-education and then just getting out there and doing it. And probably a high school level is a good place to start if you're hoping to get to the college level coaching. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people don't. I think it's a great place to start, but a lot of people don't. because I think sometimes colleges in hiring can look down on high school experience, which is kind of ridiculous because some of the high school coaches are the best coaches in the country. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But if you don't start there, where are you supposed to get your experience coming into the- grad assistant positions out there. Oh, so you can, I see. You know, get a graduate degree in something and you usually learn from the, you know, like you can be an assistant learning from a head coach. Right. Kind of so as a graduate student, you become an assistant and that's a way to get in without being a high school coach, like kind of like the yeah. direct. And you're saying that some colleges prefer that route. Yes. Yeah. So, but you did the high school coaching route and then to the college coaching route. So how did you make that transition? I didn't intend to do it. I was coaching that high school team that I loved and then we moved away because my husband's grad school. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I have to stop coaching now. That's right. too bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then I, yeah. I, we moved out to the Boston area and mm-hmm. um, he was in grad school at Tufts. Mm. And one of my high school athletes had a brother on the Tufts team and he was like, oh, well, maybe the Tufts women's team could use some help. So it was really total, you know. Yeah. yeah. Coincidence. It wasn't something that was planned and I did that and loved it. That was what started me thinking like until that point, I didn't think that was going to be my career. But after that, I thought, okay, maybe this would be fun to do full time. Yeah, your story is so interesting, because you started out obsessed with gymnastics, and you did that pretty religiously, for I would say for yeah, for many years, like to you were 12 or 13 yeah. and had a big injury and then transitioned into running and ran in college yourself, as you mentioned. And then at some point, you worked at uh, New York Roadrunners and was kind of at the start of putting content on the internet for women's running. For elite, yeah, yeah, elite, elite running, running, yeah. Which was, you know, quite a void at that time and really at the birth of the whole putting content on the internet. So you were sort of a part of all that. So I think you're just perfectly qualified to be doing what you're doing now, producing this amazing newsletter. And for anybody that doesn't know, it comes out every Monday morning. And what I absolutely love about Allison's newsletter is that she provides a brief synopsis and then, hey, click here, here's a video or click there, there's the article. And you can kind of see, is this something I'm interested in reading or not. And I happen to be interested in most of them, but I'm sure a lot of people aren't interested in every single thing. But 
I mean, it just is such a time saver to the reader who's interested in following running. So for all you listeners out there who have any interest in running, you should absolutely subscribe to Allison's newsletter. It's amazing. And I think you're doing such a service to the sport of running because they're often overlooked in the coverage and you really shine a spotlight on women's running, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, I think you've been instrumental in making that shift because we definitely see more coverage of elite women running than we did years ago. Yeah, I feel like you were oh, for sure. You were on the forefront of that for sure, Allison, and that's awesome. It also reminds me of I get skim every day. I don't know if you guys know what that is, which is I um, don't. It just skims the news, okay. and it's yeah. it's it's the same premise, and and that's why your newsletter is great. It's the same same reason I love skim is same what Meg was just yeah, saying. You can kind of if there's an article I'm like want to get more into, I have the link right there. But if not, or I don't have time, at least I got the the blurb, and I feel like I know what's going on in the world. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. That is awesome. But so yeah, we were talking about your college coaching and how you get into that. We were also just going to ask you, like, what's a typical day like as a college coach? Probably you were a lot busier certain times of the season, certain times of the year. But what was a day like in coaching? Well, um, I think one thing that I really liked about it, it was is that it was part office job, part not. Mm-hmm. And um, it depends where I was coaching, really, because if you're coaching with a large staff, like at the University of Virginia, your job is something pretty narrow. But when I was a coach at Siena College, which is a Division One program where I was the only coach, Um, then you do everything. Like we didn't have an equipment manager there. We didn't have anything. So like sometimes I was looking on Google Maps and being like, that looks like some green space. Can we go run there? And then I would like drive there and look like like, without trying to trespass on someone's property. Wow. Um, So it was like, (laughs) and then like sometimes I was up in our our equipment storage room. Like I remember being pregnant with twins and having to go up this ladder um, to get up to the (laughs) storage area for like sorting out uniforms. So it's right. it really depends on like where you're coaching and whether you're everything or if you're just one small thing. But in the morning, you spend a lot of time doing office work, whether it's recruiting, you know, like communicating with recruits, parents, you know, looking for new recruits, looking at what the training is. I mean, usually you have like a plan for the season, but looking at what you might need to adjust or having meetings with student athletes, like it depends on the school, but sometimes they're in class, but then sometimes they have time to stop by. And, and I think it varied on like from school to school, sometimes depending on like the geography of the campus, how often the students would stop by. Like if, at Virginia, they had to make a lot more effort to get over there. Yeah. But then I loved the afternoon when you get to actually go to practice and sometimes it's an easy run. So it's not as much involvement on your part, unless you're someone who runs with the team. Um, and then sometimes it's like a workout where you might be either driving somewhere or going straight from campus and doing more active coaching. Mm-hmm. And then like, usually there's like some sort of strength training afterwards. And, but there's a lot of just, I don't know, I, I think the part I liked about it the most is like, trying to help someone who wants to get the best out of themselves do that within the confines of like, we also have these other stressors in our lives, which everyone has, but right. some of them are unique to being on a college campus. Mm. Yeah, it's tough to be a student athlete trying to juggle all the different aspects of that. So I think a coach is instrumental in helping the kids stay healthy mentally and physically. So yeah, I'm sure you get a lot of that. You probably were a therapist once in a while. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and there, occasionally you would have someone who would come and say, I'm going to quit the team because I want to focus more on my academics. And I, I really feel like from what we saw over the years, I mean, everyone's different, but 
I feel like for a lot of people, having that sport actually brought more structure to their lives. Enhanced and it. And I think easier. statistics bear that out, actually. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So like, I, I think usually, unless they were just saying that and they didn't want to say, I hate being right. on the team or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but, um, right. but yeah, like I think it really does help you. Like there's so much free time and there's so much to do, but there's also so much free time in a college day compared to a high school day. So you kind of, because you're not in class for that many hours. So it really helps you. It forces you to be more efficient. Work. Yeah. 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 That makes such sense. Yeah. yeah. So we had a bunch of questions that we wanted to ask you about uh, running in general, but just wanted to get to know you a little better. What is your personal running event that you enjoy the most? Oh gosh. I mean, I guess I probably would have invested the marathon. I don't, I don't think I stuck with it long enough to really find out. To really out. give it a push. But I, you know, I wish I was good at the mile, but I definitely was not in I ran the 10,000 in college, which was the longest event you could do. And it was more like, in the end, it was because I was 10k runner, but also it was like no one else wanted to do it. So it was easier. When I came in immediately, I could score points and, you know, the conference meet and stuff because no one else wanted to do it. Yeah. 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 Right. So have you, have you run some marathons, Allison? Yeah. I've, I ran some when I was younger that were like much faster. And then, you know, like post kids, I have run some that are, you know, like it's it's sort of like a totally separate career. Like, do you want to share like what your PR is? Um, My PR is (laughs) 309.45. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Smoking. Smoking. (laughs) I actually ran a marathon not far from you. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's the Sugarloaf one. one, is it? No, it's the, called oh, the main no. on, in early October. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's actually not the easiest course. So that's a really good time, I think. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's not a flat long, course. Long right? time ago now. <laughs> and it's a beautiful course, too. So do you have a proudest running accomplishment? Would that be it? The 309 Main Marathon? Um, I mean, possibly, because I, I also, I won that marathon. So that was just a cool Oh my thing. gosh. Um, wow, it was like the yeah. second slowest winning time ever. At the <laughs> and then, that was, like, I don't think, it might not necessarily be my proudest accomplishment because I feel like I could have gone faster, but it, it but it's, it's up there. Uh-huh. That's a typical runner for you. <laughs> Never have I know. <laughs> I know. I think you have a little bit more left in the tank. Yeah. <laughs> what was I thinking? Could have been three. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, that was my goal. And yeah. um, I think in the 10K, I felt more, 10K and 5K, I felt more like, okay, this is as fast as I can go. Like, <laughs> like I'm just going to have to do some right. different distance if I want to get better at something. But the marathon, I never felt like I really ran as fast as I could. Yeah. Well, someday you might get it's back at race. it when, you know, the kids are older. But it's a big commitment training for a marathon, as yeah. you well know. So, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. It's great if you have someone that can do all those long runs with you. Otherwise, it depends on the person, though. Honestly, sometimes now with a podcast and stuff, stuff I kind of like running alone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly it, it helps get you through it's your, it's it your, used to be I needed someone to chat with but now, now you're all set like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, wanted to ask you also, so you just have in your newsletter an amazing amount of resources. And I was wondering Mm. if you had some favorite resources, like what is your favorite podcast in your favorite web magazine in your, 
you know. I think it was all things college. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Obviously. But, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Like, I think some of my favorite podcasts aren't ones that I actually draw on for the newsletter. Like Lauren Fleshman and J- Jesse Thomas have a podcast mm-hmm. called Work, She's Play, such Love. a fascinating person, huh? Yeah. No, I, love, I, I mean, love not that podcast. I know about I've Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that one, um, but it, it doesn't produce a lot of running news, so I'm not frequently linking to it. So I really enjoy mm-hmm. that. I think there's a lot of them. Like, I don't want to leave anyone out. I think there's a lot of great ones. And a lot of it's just, I love when they're bringing on elite women's distance runners. And I think as someone who came from like a print media background a little bit, I I love podcasts because you can never fit that much information in one article. Um, mm-hmm. as you're gonna, right. And also it's the person gets to speak for themselves rather than being quoted sometimes out of context. So like then the yeah. reporter can pick and choose what they're going to focus on. Right. It's a great resource for you. I actually first became aware of you listening to Allie Feller's podcast on the run. Yep. And she had a roundtable discussion with four amazing women that are kind of leaders in the world of writing about women's running. And uh, you were among her guests there. I think there was one from the New York Times and one from Runner's World and one from Women's Running, Erin yep. Aaron, Aaron Strout. Yep. Strout. Yep. I mean, maybe you could say their names. So I'm not <laughs> Sarah Lorge Butler, who writes for Runner's World. And she's actually also the editor of my newsletter, which is she has been so instrumental in helping me with any, yeah. any questions uh-huh. that I have about anything. And then um, Lindsay Krauss, who write, writes for the New York Times. and then Right, Aaron and she Krauss. broke that yeah. huge story about the pregnancy leave. And, yeah. And, yeah, so that was... Not being, yeah, not being supported during a pregnancy right. leave. I don't know if you want to comment on some of the, res- if not your favorite, but some of the resources you draw on or you're just afraid to leave some out because you draw upon so many. I don't know. I mean, I think the for me, the best resource is Twitter. And I wasn't active on Twitter until I started doing the newsletter. And um, mm-hmm. so I don't think it's like any one place that's producing all the best content. But I think it's just that there are so many places to look for content that it's nearly impossible to do to find everything. So you basically follow everything running related. Exactly. Yeah. And it's still is- a lot of people to follow, but... I feel like I can get everything there. And I think social media has really changed a lot in terms of how we consume content and how we are aware of what's going on in the world. And just in terms of like, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you can have a voice, you know, if you're saying something interesting, I like that Twitter is all about thoughts rather than, you know, like, I mean, I know a lot of people love Instagram, but Instagram is you have to have a nice photo. And (laughs) I like Twitter. Yeah, it's sort of like this equal opportunity. Like if you have something interesting to say, like you can have an audience. Yeah, exactly. And also it's a lot of it's real time that yeah. going on at the moment. Yeah, I'll never forget. This is kind of unrelated, but we happened to be at the Boston Marathon the year of the bombing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my daughter was with some of her college friends. We were about a mile from the finish line and they first found out, you know, we heard and we saw all the craziness and all the police rushing toward the finish line. Yeah. But we didn't know what was going on. And one of my daughter's friends found out on Twitter and saw real photos and, you know, live photos. And it was just crazy. That really showed me how our world is changing in that moment. That was quite a day. Yeah. My husband was actually uh, near the finish line and I had watched along the course with our kids that day. And so we weren't anywhere near it, which the year before we had been at the finish. But my husband was in the press room and I was very glad. Like I had just put the kids down for a nap and he sent me an email saying like, I don't want to alarm you, but there was a large oh medical noise. So I found out from him and I was really glad that, that I found out. Yeah, that is a relief was, because you knew he was okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
all the communication was pretty much shut down. So yeah. thank God you got that before it was. Yeah, and then, yeah. But then I went looking and there was like nothing online. And I was like, oh, it like probably was nothing or like, you know, for I spent like a good 15 <laughs> minutes thinking like, okay, just imagined it. But that was actually, I didn't run marathons like after having kids until then. But that day inspired me to get back into running marathons again. And uh-huh. I know it had that effect on so many runners. There's just the opposite effect of what, you know, yeah. people would think it inspired people to say, all right, I'm just going to get out there and we're not going to let this stuff exactly. stop us. <laughs> the Boston's strong. Speaking of the Boston marathon, I just wanted to mention one of Boston's favorite runners, uh, Shalane Flanagan, who no longer lives in the area, but she grew up in, I believe grew up in yeah. the area, but just, uh, I, it's just always so hopeful that she would have her chance to win there. I know. <laughs> and it seemed like it seemed like she just had a lot of bad luck. Like I can't remember was it two years ago that that horrible yeah, torrential downpour rain. And yes. I feel like that was her year. She was so ready. And then I think in previous years, I think she may have lost out to some people that could have been yeah, dopey. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Sure. So it just feel like she never really had her. I know, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I, you know, you want it for, for yeah, her so badly. Yeah. Well, I mean, at yeah. least she has New York. That's a pretty good consolation prize. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like best finish ever, you know, just that visual of her going across. She was so beyond happy. And yeah, that was awesome. But I was wondering, do you have a favorite distance that you like to cover in women's running? I really like all the races. I love watching. I'm, I'm really excited. The world championships are coming up soon. And I'm... Yes, actually, we we oh want to get gosh. into that because definitely so timely for the podcast. Aloha, Doha. Yeah. <laughs> Aloha, Doha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In terms of covering, sometimes the marathon is fun because you can actually like have just like, I love being on Twitter during these things and like you can have discussions about what's mm-hmm. going on. Whereas like in an 800 or, you know, a shorter track race, you're more just focusing on the race. Whereas during the marathon, there's more time to have conversation and wonder what's going to happen or speculate about, you know, is someone going to last or whatever. All right. My only complaint about marathon coverage is they just cover the lead pack. That's it. You never know what's going on behind. Yeah. yeah Compl- there's a lot of really good runners. There just are. <laughs> and you're so interested in what's pack. going on with them. And mm-hmm. also watching track and field when they do normally anything from 3000 meters up, they're cutting yeah, away. Yeah. All the time. So, I mean, like, I think that's annoying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to pole yeah. vault. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, and, what? And no, offense to the field events because yeah every event's important it's just want to miss a beat i've actually started watching on nbc sports gold because they are much more likely to have like separate channels for the field of it's a subscription service but it's like i don't know 70 something dollars a year and for me it's this year it's been worth it because they will show the entire race or they will do a split screen or they might have a separate channel for just the field events or something so but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, I think there would be a lot more running fans if it were covered differently on TV. I agree. Well, yeah. So I just wanted to ask you if you have a favorite athlete that you like to cover. We have a favorite <laughs> athlete that we like to watch and Rachel Schneider. <laughs> She's our favorite elite pro. Yeah, absolutely. But do you have one? I honestly do not have one. I think there have been people along the way that I've realized that I'm like, oh, I'm really pulling for them to do well, but I think it's not any one person. And and mm. I think also like some of the people who I really looked up to as a kid, then like later on, I've like, we get more coverage of them. And I think, oh, like, I don't really agree with that person. So I think I don't want to put any one person up on a pedestal. I kind of just, you know, I, right. I really like the athletes who are both running fast and also have some sort of platform that is like, really helping connect them to other people and I guess use their knowledge to help other people. Um, I think that's yeah. really cool. Giving back. Yeah. Sure. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. 
and as you say, we don't, uh, I certainly don't know any of these athletes. So, um, you know, just a fan from afar watching their performances. But you're right, if they have something else to contribute that way it makes them so much more right and also if they've had a struggle you just you're yeah, rooting for them exactly so yeah because world is coming up for all of those that don't know it's september 27th wait. through i think october 6th yes okay and i got that from allison's newsletter <laughs> but i clearly couldn't pull that up quickly enough I have printed out the women's flow track, put up a list of the USA women that were sending in all of the events, but I printed out the women's 800, 1500, 3K steeplechase, 5K, and women's 10K. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on any of those races. I mean, I'm really excited for all of them. I think mm-hmm. because I do have such a US bias that the US has medal hopes are a little more exciting to me. But sure. the 800, for instance, like Ajay Wilson has a really good shot at winning because she has not lost the season She's to- just- unstoppable. Yeah, to anyone that will be in the field. Um, I mean, that's also, I listened to a podcast this morning that was from the Olympic Channel about the whole 800 situation with Castor Semenya and others. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to also mention to you, I thought you covered that with such sensitivity better than anywhere else I read. Yeah, and maybe you could mention what that story is for our listeners that don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's really complicated and basically Castor Semenya has been allowed to compete as a woman because she is a woman. For many years, Mm -hmm. and now the IWF is um, pushing back because she naturally has higher testosterone levels than other women because there are a lot of chromosomal differences that weren't really taken into account when we made the categories of male and female for a competition. Um, And so she doesn't quite fit that. But at the same time, like these things weren't defined before. And I think had Castor Semenya been sort of an average athlete, I don't know that these would have come up as soon. Um, but because she's been so dominant in the 800 for so many years and has a higher testosterone level, that's something they started looking at. And the women's 800 especially has been affected. That is an event where like the 2016 Olympic medalists all are affected by this now. So they none of them are able to compete. Um, so mm-hmm. it's just a really, it's, I don't know, this podcast I listened to this morning was so good because it actually interviewed some of the women and how they are, are affected because it's one thing to like know early on that like this is how it's going to go, but they've built these whole careers and this is their livelihood and now they're being told they can't compete anymore. Right, yeah. So it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. I don't know, this issue is only going to become bigger and bigger yeah, and it just, it just happens that track and field is like experiencing it more than or other sports aren't caring as much, I guess, because... If you're on a team, it's one thing. It's it's different than right. competing as an individual. Right. I think in some ways, because Castro exactly. Semenya is able to play soccer now. But it, I don't know. I think it's such a complicated issue that I I don't feel like, like an expert, but I like listening to other people talk about it. And um, exactly, I yeah. think it's it's yeah. it, and it's only and the solutions not yeah, clear. And it, it's just it's heartbreaking on both sides because there are people who have lost out on medals as a result. But at the same time, like, I I don't know, and the women's 800 also has this huge doping issue. Um, So that's far, I feel like if we're going to go after anyone, go after the people who are like intentionally cheating in the sport, rather than people who are born with differences. Yeah, that's a big problem and hot topic in women's track. And that's so frustrating. And speaking of that, oh, what's her name? Uh, Oh, Alicia Montano, is that what you're thinking of? No, Martinez, Brenda Martinez. Oh, Brenda Martinez, both of them. Yeah, they're going to be recognized. They're receiving medal upgrades in Doha. But it's so frustrating that it's after the fact and robbed in that moment of what should have been a a moment of glory for them and and possibly financial rewards as well, which is... Well, that's what I was going to say. This is 
their livelihood as well, you know, double sided. Right. You know, it's not just the metal, <laughs> which is important, but it's also their livelihood. Yeah. And, well, who do you expect but, to have some great performances here at Doha? Well, yeah. well, because of all these changes in the Women's 800, the Americans have a, not only because of they were already great, but um, it's really opened up a path for Ajay Wilson to potentially Yeah, win. and I'm really happy for her because yeah. she, she's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, and there's two other women, mm. who Raven Rogers and um, Hannah Green, who could both also medal. Yeah, I, both also amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for the 1500 as well. It's just such a who knows what's going to happen kind of event um, because a lot of the women who are contenders haven't competed this much this year. Especially um, Shelby. Yeah, I've seen so Shelby more of Jenny. Is, and Yeah, Jenny just seems to get it done somehow. When know, she she's just, yeah. That Fifth Avenue road mile is amazing. She just wins it year after year. Yeah. And those races are just so strategic, yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, you never know who might not even make you know, it to the final because they right. fall in the prelim or something like that. Or step, they're, they're right. basically yeah. stepping over the line, which is the most frustrating way to get disqualified because oh, it's not a huge advantage yeah. yet, you know, that can take you out of the race. And just hopefully we don't have any crashes, you know, they're so close together. Yeah. Just but, And Nikki Hiltz has, you know, really poured it on recently yeah. with her strong finishes so it will be an interesting mm-hmm. trio there yeah yeah and then the steeplechase of course we have the returning one two finishers from last time and right right mm-hmm. emma coburn and courtney frericks and yeah. unfortunately calling quickly was decued in the last time that they had the one two so who knows it could have been a one two three yeah obviously in the women's 5k bobby and i are pulling for rachel schneider Go but, rachel. We, <laughs> but there's a pretty strong group going there as well yeah and yeah i mean i I think it's interesting. The 5K and 10K, it seems like if it goes hard right from the gun, it's really hard for the Americans. Like they would have to break the American record in order to medal. But if it's right. if it's more of a strategic race, then we have seen chances like where people can slip in there. So we'll see. Yeah, that will be interesting to see how it plays out. And do you think that's the same situation for the women's 10K with Molly Huddle, yeah. Emily Sisson, yeah. and Mariel yeah, Hall? Yeah, that's where the Americans have had more success in the 10k than in the 5k because they've never meddled in the 5k but 10k mm-hmm. is, but I, I think less and less there are people who know they can sort of run away from the field so I think it's becoming harder for them to say I'm not going to go for it I think some of these people know they have to go for it in order to not let other people in well whatever happens at world it is going to be exciting for sure and we can't wait to watch it oh for sure but for now getting back to a more college and career type question you have created this newsletter fast woman and it's kind of like you took a career in your own hands and created it yourself can you tell us how that all happened yeah i mean i think it's always been a little bit hard going this route because um you know like when recruiters would visit your college campus and you know there'd be like these certain paths you could go down like whether it's into like investment banking or graduate school or whatever else Right. Um, I never felt like, oh, this is something that I, like I never saw options there that I wanted to pursue. So I think it's a little bit of a harder route and you're not always applying for a job that exists. Mm. But I think it's also like increasingly the case that you can sort of create your own thing and you can get the word out through social media, through the internet. And I think that as long as you can find a need and meet it, then you can do whatever you want. It's just, I think the bigger challenge then is figuring out how to get people to pay you to do that. But if you're producing a product, you know, there's just so many more ways that you can build a career now than there used to be. And I've never been someone who like, you know, I know a lot of people use LinkedIn, but I have not maybe more so now, but like in the past, it was never like, I don't know, I kind of felt like, why would you want to connect with me? There's no, there's no job here. But <laughs> like right. you find it more through knowing people 
in the industry and through connections more than actually finding a job that you can apply for. But I I think if you're passionate about something, you can really dive into that a little bit more than ever before and make up your own career. It's not always the easy I love that. I love that too. And you're right. Social media has made that available to people. A little bit more doable. Yeah. Right. I just think it's perfect to have a niche that is really targeted to something that you're passionate about, but so are your readers and followers. You know, we're passionate about what you're putting out. So, and I think something you had mentioned, I had heard in another podcast that you're trying to appeal to people, you know, everyday runners, like we all watch the Patriots and basketball. And so all those everyday runners that are out there doing 5Ks are just slugging along like I do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you provide a way or a means for them to get really excited about the sport and learn about the players and a way to follow it. And I love that. But I did want to just say that Allison clearly works her tail off to put this newsletter out. It's just a ton of work. Because it's so detailed and a ton of links. So people, head on over to Patreon and show her some love. But in that regard, I know that's a way for you to get paid for what you do. But I just wanted to ask, is there a minimum people can contribute? Because I think a lot of times people are deterred, like, I don't have $5 a month. What is the rock bottom minimum you can... uh, Yeah, um, this is set by Patreon. It's $1 a month is the minimum donation they will take. When you go in there, it's like the default is... $5 $5 because that's what they like, they've right. said it as. But maybe you so would get more contributors if they knew it was only a dollar a month and just something to yeah. think about. But of course, if you can afford a little more, she deserves every penny. Yes, right. We also want to talk about the marathon in Doha. Oh, and Safan Hassan, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Today is the day she's supposed to declare which race. Oh, and I wrote in the newsletter that they had to declare what right. event today, but they don't actually oh, have to. Oh, okay. Apparently. So we don't know um, still. They're still putting out start lists today, but she doesn't have to decide until after she runs the 10,000. So she can be on both start lists. She can be on all three. Like it doesn't have like the honest effort rule like you have in a lot of championships. Oh, so she's also in the 10,000? Yeah. So she can be on there. I think she's definitely doing the 10K. And then after that, she can decide if she wants to scratch the 5K or the 15. She can stay in there right until the last minute. So I don't know when we'll find out. (laughs) So, and also I wanted to know, do you have any news on the marathon that, you know, I read somewhere recently that they're considering canceling it? Which is because of the heat. Yeah. Yeah. So Sebastian Coe, the president of the IWF, yesterday said that they're not considering canceling the marathon. That that was just a rumor. But it is still supposed to be so impressive during that race. It's starting close to midnight. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I hope that the athletes just stay within themselves and that it's safe. But I really don't think it was a wise decision to put the championships in Doha where they, I mean, it may be a little bit hotter than it sometimes is, but it's not like they didn't yeah, know right. Doha is going to be hot. Too right. hot. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. know that was a big decision and it's going to be tough on the athletes. Yeah. Well, but the stadium is air conditioned so they can be a little bit cooler That's inside true. the stadium. Whereas That's true. in the marathon, they you can't no, air condition. You can't. They can't. And no right. one wants to run around the track that many times. <laughs> <laughs> well, Allison, thank you so, so much for coming on our podcast and sharing with our listeners what it's like to produce a newsletter and to be a college track coach. And also, you know, you're still doing some research for Runner's World and some writing in the past. So an interesting career for sure. And it will be a lot of fun following you and seeing what 
path your career takes, but everybody should check out Fast Women uh, newsletter and subscribe and head on over to Patreon and support Allison. Thank you so much. And thank you for all the work you two do. Oh, thanks, Allison. And we will continue to read that newsletter. We love it and keep on doing your great work. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. We're so appreciative of Allison coming on our podcast. Yeah, she was awesome. I think she provides a great example of a woman who transformed her passion into a career while balancing the demands and joys of being a mom. Exactly. And I find her to be incredibly inspiring and thoughtful person. Yes, I definitely get that vibe from her. So if you have any interest in women's running, I highly recommend that you head on over to Twitter and follow Allison at at Bass underscore woman. Or follow her on Instagram at fastwoman. We'll include all of those links in our show notes. Exactly. And also, don't forget to subscribe to Allison's awesome newsletter, Fast Woman. It's free. And you will be thanking us for sure. It's that good. (laughs) And we'll include a link to sign up for that newsletter in the show notes. Right. And if you enjoy the newsletter, which we know you will, please support Allison's hard work in putting out all of this content by contributing to her Patreon. You can sign up for as little as a dollar a month. That's right. So have a great day, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Yes. And please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. It really helps this podcast to grow and it helps others to find our podcast. It certainly does. And thank you so much to everyone that takes the two seconds it takes to do that. Thanks so much. Have a great day, everyone. Have a great day.